Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Hello, listeners. I'm thrilled to announce a four-episode miniseries in partnership with CASE. The Council for Advancement and Supportive Education is the global nonprofit association dedicated to educational advancement professionals in alumni relations, communications, development, marketing, and advancement services who share the goal of championing education to transform lives and society. You may have heard an episode that I did with CASE's CEO, Sue Cunningham, so here is a continued partnership with them. The next four episodes will feature independent school advancement leaders. Part of this mini-series is selfish. I'm still in my first year at an independent school for my day job, and I wanted to explore different leadership models and learn more about this slice of our industry. It was also motivated by a desire to showcase the high-level, sophisticated work that is being done by leaders in this space. I couldn't be more excited to kick off with Emily Stone. She works at a school very close to mine, and I've known her for quite a while through our alma mater's alumni network. You'll hear Emily talk about her career trajectory and how important these networks are as she's navigated her work in alumni relations and moved on to being a leader as the director of development at her institution. Emily is high energy and filled with good ideas, and she makes me laugh several times during the episode. Emily Greystone is a graduate of Phillips Exeter Academy and Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, where she majored in public policy and law. She's worked in the New York City private school development world for nearly 15 years, 12 of which were at the Spence School, a K-12 school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. She began her time at Spence in the alumni office and is currently director of development. Emily is a member of WID, Women in Development, and will be chairing the Case NACE 2023 conference. She and her husband, Jonathan, have two girls, ages three and five. Now let's get started. Hey guys, I want to tell you about an exciting job opportunity. This job opportunity is actually working with me at the Chapin School, which is a very similar environment to the school that we're going to hear about today with Emily Stone. We have a campaign coordinator position open, which will be absolutely integral to the ambitious planning that my boss and I will be doing as we continue to work through the silent phases of a very exciting campaign. If you know someone who could be a good fit for this role or want to learn more about it, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would love to talk with you and learn what ideas you might have, whether it be your own interest or someone that you know. Thank you so much for thinking of us, and I look forward to hearing your recommendations. Hi, Emily. Welcome to The Debrief. Hi, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I have to say you all heard it in Emily's bio, but she is a a fellow Trinity alum, and I'm always so proud to feature fellow alumni. Go Bantams. Let's start with just getting people up to speed with your career trajectory. They know right now that you're the director of development at Spence, which is an incredible role and leadership position in our industry. But how did you get started? I interned at the development office at Trinity. I worked in the office for one of our shared mentors, Katie, um, over at Ellen Stevenson. But I actually thought I wanted to go to law school. My undergraduate major was public policy and law. 
So my first job out of college was at Crevasse, Wynn and Moore um, in corporate banking. And at the same time, I was chairing the major gift committee for my New England boarding school. And I'm not from New York. And I kept running into high school classmates and really thinking about and being grateful for this community, this alumni community that I, I had not, I can't even say taken for granted. I hadn't really even considered. It was a wonderful thing for me in my move to New York. I kept sitting in these meetings and or being on these conference calls and thinking about the people in the office. You know, they were the only ones getting paid to be on this call and how much I was enjoying it. And really getting sort of drawn in by that alumni community component of what a school or institution can be for you as you, even after you leave it. So with that, I applied, started applying to private schools in New York City, and I worked at the Calhoun School on the Upper West Side. Very different school from Spence, a really wonderful group of people, loved working for our head of school, Steve Nelson, who was a dynamite educator, and was the development office associate there. It was great to work in a small shop, Catherine, because I got to learn so much. I had access, you know, I was taking notes in the development committee meetings. I just, it was really a four or five person group, and we were sort of all hands on deck. Within a year there, I ended up renting their benefit, which was a big fundraising piece of their team over there, and also working on their alumni relations program, which is how I started to move in that track. So I was there for two years and then came to Spence as the assistant director of alumni relations. And I've had about four different titles here at Spence and, you know, just finishing my third year as the director of development. It's such a great story. I don't know if people listening are thinking this, but what I'm thinking is how cool it is that you parlayed alumni relations to director of development. That is not common. Do you agree? Or do you think that is something that happens more in the independent school world? I do think it's not common. And I think my professional pet peeve is the phrase friend raising. And I think too often, I don't know if it comes from the institution or from the office themselves, alumni relations can be like the redheaded stepchild of development. Redheads of the world, forgive me for the phrase. <laughs> um, I think the alum teams take themselves out of feeling responsibility for the bottom line and the dollars. And I think it's a mistake, right? It doesn't serve the industry well. It doesn't serve your school well to have that really feel siloed. And uh, I feel when I got here, I had such a wonderful partnership with our director of the annual fund. Everything you're doing in alumni relations should be mindful of the annual fund. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the dollar piece of it, but annual fund, I say that because that's sort of the more obvious one, right? And, you know, there's many things that alumni relations should take into account, all different kinds of perspectives and who you might want to get involved for what kind of different reasons, but the annual fund should be one of them always, and you should be mm -hmm. really comfortable with that. I remember for me, you know, an alum, when you're talking to an alum about getting involved, you're mentioning at least six or seven different things, and every time you should be talking about the annual fund in your sort of your buffet of ways to engage. And you should be unabashed and confident about that because, you know, you should really believe in that giving back piece. And the mm -hmm. school, I think alumni relations is about, is such a two-way street. What the school can continue to give you as an alum, be it like networking opportunities, social outlets, any cultural opportunities, and what you can give the school in a myriad of ways, the annual fund absolutely being one of them. But also, maybe you're giving an internship, maybe you're speaking to current students, maybe you're in events and helping find an event venue or offering a tour at a gallery, but the annual fund in addition to all of those things, not instead of or either or or anything like that. 
what I loved about the annual fund is it feels like a, a clear data point of success. You know, you can yeah. really watching participation rates and dollar amounts grow. It can be really rewarding because it's hard to measure how someone's feeling about the school. Right. And that's one that is clear. And I, and I do kind of thrive on that. So that was fun for me. Yes. And you mentioned relationship building. Of course, that's true, whether you're in alumni relations, annual giving, major giving, whatever. What are other. So, of course, that was a skill that you honed and brought over. But what are other skills that you feel you're drawing from that you learned in alumni relations that you use now? I think something that's been helpful for me in alumni relations coming to development is I have a deep sense of Spence's history right? Alums are the folks that carry that, right? This sort of where we've been and where we've been going and what's important to us long-term, right? As a, as a school. And so that's really helpful. I feel like working in alumni relations, you know, the school deeply, right? Then a way that maybe a lower school parent isn't prepared to tell you sort of the, the depths of the school. And then a specific component of the relationship building that I find helpful and everything is sort of the customer service piece. And I really, I think I'm very comfortable with the fact that I do think we work in customer service, right? A service of our schools primarily, but also our constituents and how we can help get that answer, figure that out, find that information, listen to what someone's interested in, remember that. So when something else happens, you can bring up that opportunity circle back to that donor, that question, the people part of that. Making people feel heard, I think, is really important. I'm now working 98% of the time with parents. You've worked with alumni and now parents. What are the primary differences in your experience between the two groups? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think our parent communities are so diverse, but they have these sort of similarities, right, in parents and that They've all got kids, girls specifically, ages five to 18, right? And the alums, the demographics are just wildly different, right? You have 80 year olds, you have 18 year olds. So the way you communicate with them is just when the segmenting that needs to happen is so much more would be one primary thing. And of course, then the contact information, it's so boring and no one's as interested in contact information as I am, but it's so key to alumni relations. If you can't get in touch with people, it's not going to matter what you're printing and doing. And for parents, you can take for granted that your contact information is effectively perfect, right? You have yes. that child. I, you have I their- remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like we have everyone's number. Right. Right. Everyone's child email. every day. Of course you have their cell phone. And for mm-hmm. alumni relations, that's just not true. But I also think one of the differences too, when I was running the alumni office, right, you're more the gatekeeper of the alum experience, right? Alum communications, events, what's pushed out is really all coming through you. If they have a question at the school, even if you're going to help them get in touch with the right person, it's starting with you. So you really are the the gatekeeper for your demographic, for your constituent. As a parent, that's not true. The majority of parent interactions are not with the development office. So their cultivation opportunities or not are happening for them every day, sort of out of your control. So there's a whole extra step of checking in with a division director that is so or a true. coach, like, how's the child doing? How's the family? Like, what do you not know that's happened in the last 48 hours with this? And I think I saw that really during COVID for us, you know, there were, there are so, our community at Spence really loves to gather. It's a really social group and, and people really enjoy that. And that obviously went away. Right. And so a lot of the reasons I think some of our parents feel so close to the school is 
going to a sports game, a homecoming, a performing arts event, gathering at a class cocktail party. And all of those moments were wonderful touch points that connected people to the school and made them lean into this community that I didn't plan or do, but benefited from in my yeah. work. And they didn't yeah. have it for two years, mm -hmm. right? And I, I noticed that. So it really has gotten me thinking about all the touch points our parents have, you know, 95% of the touch points our parent community has that doesn't come through development at all. Whereas I think our alums, we probably in the development alumni relations space, 95% of their touch points come through us. Sure, there's the media and general school communications and maybe running into a friend whose daughter goes here, you know, that kind of thing, um, word on the street is sure. But still an alumni, I think you own that narrative much more than you do for parents. In terms of, so we're talking about engagement, but as we think about inclination, another thing that was really shocking to me when I moved into the independent school world is that for so many parents, their top priority is the school. They have high inclination to support the school financially. And when you're working with alums, that's not necessarily the case. Right. Tell us about that. I mean, it's such an interesting dynamic. Why, what do you think the reasons are and what are your views? It is such an interesting dynamic, Catherine. And I think as you and I have talked about, it's not true that alumni parent divide that we see at private day schools isn't true at say a boarding school. Right. right? Um, you look at an Exeter or a Deerfield and they're- We're gonna have Tom Lockerbie on here, so. Exactly, or Andover, you were gonna make me say it. Um, <laughs> Um, and I love Tom and, you know, the primarily, I think the boarding schools have been from place of relying on alums and trying to, and they're trying to do more with parents, I think, to great success, a lot of those schools. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just, it's a specifically, I think a day school, um, I don't want to say challenge, just distinction where the, right. because it's also wonderful how generous the parents are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you and I have talked about a little bit of that is, a like a cultural shift that we all have to be collectively working on, right? Because we may have an alum with great capacity who is giving very generously as a parent to their child's day school in another city, right? And that day school is experiencing the same thing we are, which is the alum is maybe in more of a participatory way involved, right? And and, and the participation is high. That's been? In general, right? I mean, yes. Well, I mean, we since we had the highest rate of alumni participation in New York for almost a decade. So yes, we have really <laughs> high participation rates. You really got proud. that one in there too. <laughs> you know, I had to. As I said, I told you I was competitive. Um, no, it's fun, and I do think success begets success, right? Our alums are proud of that, and I think it motivates them to. That is such a point of joy and pride for them that it it enhances the point about participation, like the strength and what that says together, right? And I think even when you drive down into that, our young alumni participation rate has been so high that that's even a greater sort of referendum or testament, if you will, to what's happening at Spence today. They feel so positively about their experience, so well-prepared. And I think that's compelling for our lower school parents too, or all of our parents, but particularly those to see how great our young alums feel about the foundation that Spence gave them. But sorry, back, I've digressed a little bit to your point about the alum and parent. I mean, on one hand, it's, I agree with you, you know, we're not a cultural institution where you're starting a little bit more from a cold call or like how you're developing these relationships. There's this predetermined. Right. They're warm. Right? right, you have your child. Our admissions office has, you know, brought them in. They've, they've learned about Spence and there's a real clear benefit of leaning into the 
for the benefit of your own child, your own daughter. Mm -hmm. And we've had some extremely generous alums for sure. But I think that that alumni parent, it's, it's cultural, much bigger than one school. It's so funny because I remember when I was working at Columbia, when I would meet with alums who lived in New York City, often they would say, my top priority is my kid's school. And I always used to think, is that really true? Are they just saying that? And now that I'm here, I really do think they were telling me the truth that this school really is the top priority. And it just changes the dynamic so much because you're not necessarily making a case for support. They know what the case is. They live the case. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a very interesting space to be as a fundraiser. And I want people who are listening to kind of understand that. Right. And that's sort of what we were talking about, that the, the case is being made without you. Right. Um, in many ways, right? And so you're sort of frosting the cake of that, but there's a big piece of that that's done through all these touch points that you don't have to create for your donor like you would if you're on the road visiting an alum, bringing them print pieces, giving them updates. They're, you know, hearing their updates are coming via the dining room table with their seven-year-old. Yeah. Who's, you know, really jazz. We had a big event this morning, like uh, food trucks and coffee on the street for our parent community. And oh, fun. we'd had a big, for the students had had a conference. We have an annual conference on civic engagement and it was on ecology and sustainability yesterday. It was like an all day conference workshop K through 12. And more than one of our parents was like, were just telling me how jazz they were about it. Not because I'd read the story on the website or seen the Instagram post because their kids came home so excited at dinner last night, right? And I left the breakfast this morning just thinking about how great that was for me. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't plan that conference on engagement. I, you know, it was, um, yeah. and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and it's so authentic and organic. And of course there is the other side of the coin when things aren't going well, we feel that too. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, but that's that piece <laughs> of like, did the kid not make the soccer team or whatever, you know, was there, a, as there are with children growing up at any age, anywhere who mm -hmm. got pushed on the playground or a little bit of, you know, social strife in the middle school. Right. And, and how do you it also, do you have any tips in your back pocket for that? I mean, we all know listening is the best policy, but are there other things you do that work? Um, I think the first thing is the key is to know about it, right? Which is so you can be on your front foot. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing feels worse than thinking you're sitting down with someone that you've cultivated. They've come to a dinner, maybe a briefing. They're ready to go and something really awful happened last week. And even if it wasn't something that happened at school, say their daughter broke the, the, her arm on the playground and the families, and you don't start with how is she doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because you didn't sort of and do your research on the back end. And I think that comes from really good communication on a senior administrative level. Um, you know, I feel very grateful that my colleagues like pick up the phone, let me, you know, when I work really closely, my head of school also gets like filtered a lot of that. And she just has such an eye for, mind for development too, to, to keep me in the loop. And then also, you know, it's a two-way street, right? If I know I'm meeting with say a lower school family to reach out to the lower school and just say, how's this family doing? So you can meet people where they are. That's, that mm -hmm. is knowing what you're walking into and it's huge. It's certainly a tip. And then also before that, before you have a meeting scheduled, if someone's having some, a tough time, whatever is going on, 
maybe you give them some space. Maybe a fall meeting turns into a spring meeting, right? It can be all about timing. And um, I would never rush a solicitation if I knew it wasn't the right time. I would rather wait a little bit if that could give me a different landscape would be to, to be patient, I think too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned your head of school and I want to talk more about that, but before I do just one more question on your career, you have had a lot of growth at one place. You said four roles at Spence. And I've heard from a lot of people that they can, they can feel stuck at their schools, that there isn't growth or there isn't a path. How have you forged yours and what should people be thinking about if they want to grow where they are? Yeah, sure. I would say two things about that. One, new roles and opportunities can be created when they want to keep talent. And that was something that early on in my career surprised me. Um, I remember when I started in my role as uh, assistant director of alumni relations, thinking, unless the director of alumni relations left, it wouldn't have an opportunity. And she was great and I didn't want her to leave, but I remember it was like in my mind, my sort of 25 year old mind when I started, it was that or it was nothing, right? And and that just made sense to me. And I just assumed that was the way it was. And so after two years, some, another school approached me with an opportunity and I thought, you know, I was going to take it. And, um, I was so surprised now I look back on it kind of naively that our head of school and my the director of development at the time came up with a new role with a different compensation and, and allowed me to stay. So I, and I see that now as a supervisor myself, there's more leeway than you think to create growth for someone on their resume, right? To whether it's a title title and compensation, there's to good talent is so, so valuable, right? The people are the magic. And when you have someone on your team that is just dynamite, you do what you can to keep them, right? So, but obviously I will, and then the flip side of that is there's a limit, right? Like you can't have 15 directors in your office, you know? And so you can do that and give someone a stepping stone and keep them for longer than they would. But I've also benefited from certain people leaving at certain points in my career, right? Create, which have created openings in our office. Um, I mean, because, but you were prepared, at, you know, it wasn't just, they left. You no, were and ready I'll speak to, to that, but in. I just mean, I mean, yeah. the, first, the first piece of that is that I think you can create opportunities and some, you know, but, but obviously someone still has to print the name tags, right? So once the school has maybe done what they can also having openings, but then I was able to feel that I was qualified and to apply for, I got lucky on that side too. But yeah. yes, I, I mean, it spends, I, when they, when I stepped into the role of alumni director, I went through an interview process. I interviewed with trustees and members of senior administrative team and my supervisor and our head of school. And I did the same thing when I was an internal promotion to the director of development, right? Prepared my resume and, and had that process as well. So um, I do think, I mean, I was qualified to do them and I had earned that opportunity, but I also having some of those openings at the right time definitely allowed me, I think, to stay longer. But I also remember having that experience where I didn't, before there was an opening, Spence was still willing to create something to keep me, right? And and that was, I. So someone that's younger in their career, I'd advise them to explore what flexibility might be there in an organization before you assume it's not. Because I had assumed that it wouldn't be, right? It was this or nothing. Yeah. And, and that's generally not true. To prepare myself to step into these roles, I think I was always looking to sort of go the extra mile. It sounds a little hokey, but it's true. Sort of um, volunteering. Like I would just attend events that our office was throwing that I maybe didn't need to be at, right? And I would 
uh, worked the room and talked to people and it allowed me to get to know a lot of our constituents. Um, or I would make sure to attend the, you know, the upper school play and it was in the alumni relations space at the time. We have a lot of parents who are also alums where I would see them and get to say, your daughter was great, right? And just have these sort of cultivation touch points or always trying to find myself in fundraising spaces, leadership donor events who are inviting, how I can get involved in that because ultimately that's what the development office does. And I think if you can't tie yourself in everyone in the development office, whether you're the database manager or you're printing the name tags is responsible for a piece of fundraising, whether you're a direct line fundraiser or not. And if you know and feel that and approach your work with that comfort level and that drive, then you provide yourself room to grow. That's why we get the salaries we, we get in these schools. That's why we have the budgets we do. And finding opportunities to contribute to the bottom line is only going to serve you. And that can be the bottom line can be through relationship building and all the other things that we do. It doesn't, it's not always so direct. If you're not talking about money, it can still be about the bottom line, but making those cases and finding those opportunities. meeting to take notes so you can learn, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked you that because it's, yeah, I was just at Mohonk. We were saying at the, at the nice concert, and that was something that came up and I don't think we talk about it enough. So we don't. thank you. Yeah. So let's move into talking about your head of school. You have a longstanding, highly respected, prolific head of school who is retiring. I can't, I'm in total denial. Um, tell us about her tell give us a picture yeah I could talk about that for the rest of this interview so I will try (laughs) to be somewhat succinct here I mean Bodhi is she is brilliant and she is beloved at Spence and that you you know really behooves us in our fundraising you can see that in the results we've you know 100 more than 100 million dollar capital project another 50 million on the heels you know she's well raised more than 200 million in her time here she's brilliant she will ask anyone for anything she is extremely comfortable with the need she is just a mind for development i'll call her and say you know you thought about reaching out to this person with this thanks or this no already done it the notes in the mail you know like she just you don't have to you can't scoop Bodie. um (laughs) and i've learned so much for her from her the opportunity she's afforded me to to grow here at spence obviously as we just sort of talked about um and she just is a brilliant fundraiser. And that has been a wonderful opportunity to get to work with her. She is visionary. And I think that that inspires donors to step up to meet the vision. It excites people to hear her talking about that and to just see, we just had an event this week, a cocktail party um, for anyone who has served on our board in her time. And, you know, just the to sort of be with this group of leaders and reflect on where she's taken the school in the last 15 years is, is pretty remarkable. It's it's one of my big projects this year, really this spring has get, been to think about ways to fet her and celebrate her tenure and her legacy. And obviously there's a fundraising component of that. And um, it's very bittersweet, but it's also such a privilege to be able to salute her in, in all the ways that she deserves. So some of which are surprises. So I can't, it's, I have to say, I keep no secrets from her, which I, I don't recommend keeping secrets from your head of school as a professional tip. And I've been teasing her. She knows I don't. And so it's been kind of funny to be working around her in some ways. Um, it probably feels unnatural. I asked her last fall when I was starting this, I said, all right, where are we on surprises, Bodhi? Like if people are surprising <laughs> you, do you want me to always tell you, or are you okay with being surprised? And she like, 
a little mischievous look. She's like, I think I'm okay with it. So <laughs> we've got a few tricks up our sleeve, which will be really fun. So no secrets. That's a huge one. What are other ways that you partner with her? Yeah, no secrets is a huge one. Not that it was secrets. It's just, um, I think when it's a two-way street for both of us, I touched on a little bit with being on your front foot and information, but just what yeah. does she need to know? Right. And um, I never want to be in a meeting where I say, oh, I think this family is feeling X, Y, Z around the math curriculum. She's like, what? I didn't know that. You know, I always, the moment I hear things, telling her a quick email, quick phone call upstairs, this person's thrilled, this person's this, whatever it might be, um, just keeping her really in the loop. Mm -hmm. She's really sort of on the ground in all ways for us. And so lots of good communication. We're emailing on the phone, you know, multiple times a day. Just good, good sharing of information. I'm a big fan of a CC. You know, I just looping her on things, forwarding her emails that are sent to me, just keep her in the loop in all ways. So she can be on her front foot. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's one tip. It's a great communication that, I mean, that's, or just how you work together. I mean, how you, yeah. how you showcase her knowledge when it comes to a solicitation or a cultivation yeah she's the she's our message carrier expense you know we're gonna have a new head next year and i think every school does this differently for us and we also typically taking COVID out of it and we're getting back to this a little bit we're a very our fabric expense is very social our community loves to gather right and so um we do a lot of cultivation dinners during the year again typical we even we did some this summer um on long island a lot of gatherings and Bodie is the sort of message of teeing her up, putting the right people at the table, mm -hmm. the right feel, doing the seating, giving her all the background information she needs, and then really letting her give an update on the school with questions always leads to some really thoughtful conversations where I think folks leave my hope, and I, I think it's born to be true, feeling very close to the school, understanding the direction, having a lot of trust in our leadership and Bowie specifically. So the smaller groups allow her that sort of one-to-one. -one. We take people to lunch, you know, thanking them, folks that give above a certain level for the first time, right? To really thank them in the beginning. Um, obviously continued thanks, but to start that relationship for new younger families that have come in and really generous. Ways. I like that actually. That's really, it, it really shows you noticed. Yeah. And that's, that's we, cool. We sort of have two tranches of those really, really leadership folks. So above a certain level, um, it's Bodie's taking them to lunch. And then also some of our trustees and annual fund co-chairs will invite people to breakfast or lunch, or even if I think a family can't do it, it doesn't end up happening. I think they appreciate the invitation, the sort of right. to what you said, Catherine, that you noticed, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. and also just really preparing her, you know, our lucky Bodie gives development a lot of time. And I never take that for granted. I know from some of my counterparts at other schools, they have to work for some access that they want. And Bodie always jokes, she's like, I know my development office is working overtime when I say mercy. And I like <laughs> trying to get her to say mercy as, as much as I can. Um, and so like she, we, she travels for, you know, four or five alumni regional events a year. I'll say, oh, Bodie, you know, I, I get with her head with her assistant beginning of the year and figure out her conference schedule and i'll call her up and be like bodie i heard you're in austin there's an alum there can you go a night early and take them to dinner and she always says yes yep we'll make it happen no problem you know and that is spectacular that we have that kind of 
access. So figuring out like where to put her and her having that trust in our team. And then she does her star power and we go from there. She's also a brilliant speaker. And I, you know, again, a lot of this is who I'm so fortunate to have at the helm. I mean, when she speaks, you can hear a pin drop. The trustees, when they have to introduce her, they joke all the time. They're like, never, the, the running joke of any of our leadership is never speak after Bodhi. Um, you oh always speak before. What do you think is so captivating about her? Um, like, how has she honed that skill? She's an English teacher, right? So she's a mm. brilliant writer. Yeah. And you can see that in her remarks, which actually she doesn't write them all out. She writes note cards like little bullet points and that sort of is the more of the outline of her speech that she gives. But on our website, she writes these called vantage points and they have been, there was something she brought and sort of the vantage is like sort of the concept is her vantage, like from her point of view, if you will. That's and cool. she writes maybe yeah. six to eight a year. They're all on our website and it's been, and they're like lessons on parenting, something, maybe something happening, current events, something she's noticed around school, like a story, a letter a student wrote her, whatever the impetus might be. And it has allowed our community, you know, and I, I don't, our parents, but our grandparents and our past parents and our alumni to really get to know her. Cause she'll tell an intimate story about perhaps parenting her own child or something. So I will visit an alum in LA who I know has not met Bodie, who will say like, I love Bodie. She's such a great head of school. We're so lucky. Like that connection through this written word and the same wow. beauty in her writing, I think, is what you see at events, too. So I'm sure she works very hard and has practiced that. But I also do feel like part of that is just innate in someone to have that ability. Yes. And and the warmth and the joy, right? Mm -hmm. She's like just dialed that love factor. And mm -hmm. that's just such a happy place, I think, from and that comes right from her at the top. Well, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Are you, do you follow her at all or read her work? I, I'm familiar with, but not, I don't think as much as you will be. <laughs> so I, she's one of my, you know, one of the people I look to when I think about the podcast and how I want to conduct conversations. She's an amazing interviewer. And I came across a you? question. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> Thank you. And I came across an amazing question that she asks people that I wanted to use for this mini series. I'm going to ask all of our independent school leaders this question. You're called to do something brave, but your fear is real and stuck in your throat. What is the first thing you do? Swallow and move on. <sighs> Truly, because I don't think you have a lot. Sitting in fear does nothing for you. So you move through it. And I try to think of my actions as small building blocks. Like what's the first step? Say something brave for me, let's say would be running a marathon. The, the thought of it makes me want to take a nap under my desk. <laughs> and so don't think about the 26 miles, you know, I'm like, how are we going to get through mile one? Mm -hmm. And then we go from there. So what's the first action? And also something I, I sometimes tell my staff too, is like someone will be freaking out about something, right? And whatever it is for, for an event or something. I'm like, think about what the worst thing is that could happen right now. None of the alcohol shows up for the cocktail party, right? What would we do? Well, there's like a liquor court store on the corner. We would all go, we would buy it and we would be okay. Cause sometimes I find it comforting to think about the worst way this could go wrong, how we would problem solve for that. And then no, we've got this, you know, like this, yeah. we will figure this out. Bodhi's plane gets stuck. She doesn't make the event. Who's speaking? All right, we pull in the head of our upper school, you know, and it's 
we're going to be okay like figuring out what's your problem solve and then realizing you've got this that's a tactic i'm when i see someone in my team says sort of like spiraling you know like what's the worst way this can go wrong for you and then like let's solve that together and then we've got but to the swallow yeah just swallow and move through it i don't think you really have much of a choice right you just gotta go it's so true and you know <laughs> part of why i chose that question was because even though these are smaller communities, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily easier to work in them. And it, it can be a fishbowl and we do have to be brave, you know, to show yeah. examples for our students, but also because there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And I think sometimes those smaller communities add different, but perhaps more pressure, more in certain ways. Right. As are the sort of social fabric of our society has changed over the last couple decades with different maybe dependence on religious organizations or, you know, different engagement in that way. I think that our parent communities expect more from their schools to be a social outlet and a community. And, you know, you hear from alums all the time. I don't know, in the eighties, my parents just used to drop me and pick me up at the end of the day and whatever happened behind the door, it happened. And sort of the engagement and the parent activity and the desire for your own social community as a family in these schools is that so the expectations have changed and with that the pressure I think too and more customer service right and with the rising cost of tuition I think some of those feels are there yes. too from the parent community about all the things that the school needs to be in all the ways and finding institutionally for all of us I think finding ways that you lean into that and serve your community and places that you draw appropriate boundaries about what are reasonable and not reasonable expectations in a delicate, lovely development office way is gonna be part of the challenge. I think the pressures are quite real despite it being small, smaller. And what do you know for sure, Emily? Um, that when you give to Spence, it makes a difference. I really do. Oh, I, you're the first person to say that. Oh my I mean, gosh. I can, over 12 years, the philanthropy at this school, that sounds, I, I, it's one of the reasons I've been here for you know going on 13 years. It is so real what our parents or our alums and our past parents and grandparents have made possible here. When I look at the renovation of this building in 412 and the addition of the townhouse and our competitive faculty salaries are and the benefits, it's just none of which would be possible without the incredible generosity of our community. You can't question the impact that it's had. I know it in my bones. And it's one of the reasons I really feel so genuine in this position. And I loved it so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. It was a pleasure. And I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yes. Emily's passion for her work and her community is palpable. Thank you for tuning in for our first Independent School Leaders episode. To learn more, follow us on Instagram at devdebrief and reach out on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear what you learned and how your impressions of this space may have changed through this episode. Have a great week.